Well, who's fired up to be at church tonight? Yeah. yeah, fired up. I'm so glad to be here again. My name is Joe Sangle, and this is the fourth time I've been able to be with Fountain Springs Church and so excited about what God is doing here uh, in the Rapid City in the Black Hills area. It's so awesome, and I'm fired up about it. Uh, I want to tell you first I have an update about my family. Some of you know from some of my previous messages that we had a daughter a couple years in our marriage, and then we had a 10-year gap, and the doctor said we couldn't have more kids. And so 16 days after we canceled our maternity insurance, you know what we found out, right? We were expecting, and so my son was born. It was awesome. And then three and a half years later, we had a baby girl. And the update is that I have a sophomore in college. My boy is in fourth grade, and I got the last one in kindergarten. Yes! 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 I have a college student and a kindergartner. I will be eligible for Social Security when she graduates. It is unbelievable. But uh, it is so great. And I love this series, Built to Last. And uh, we're talking about having a family that's built to last, a faith that's built to last. And in the first week of this series, Pastor talked about the importance of having a mission for your life and letting that rule your life instead of our mood. And he said a powerful statement that says, many of us pay more attention to the safety of our possessions than we do to the people in our lives. And that was a pretty powerful statement. And uh, unfortunately true in many of our lives at times. And then this, last week, uh, we looked at the last speech that was ever documented by Joshua. And we focused on the fact that we need to be intentional about things we want to leave to our family, to our children. And to, to have a family that's built to last. And today, I'm going to take a look at one of the biggest obstacles to the stability of the family. And it is this topic called money. How many of you know money causes trouble in relationships? Anybody know that? And it can be a very scary topic. And so we're going to talk about it. It's going to be awesome. And so we're going to talk about it in several ways. But before we do, I want to share some statistics with you. These are recent statistics. This is the first one. That in spite of all the work Dave Ramsey has done, it's great. And, and all the traveling I've done. And Susie Orman and, and Larry Burkett and Howard Dayton and Mary Hunt and Matt Bell and all the people that teach this stuff, still 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Can you believe that? All right, we continue with some more statistics. 26% of people, this is in the last six months, said they had exactly zero dollars in savings. Okay, I've been there. And then watch this, 32% said they had more than zero but less than a thousand. So if we add it up, that is like 58% that have zero or less than 1,000 in savings. So let's ask the question real quick. Does this sound like they are managing money in a way that honors the Lord or the dreams he's placed in their lives? It's a challenge to hold on to this money. I get it. But here's one of the big lies that we bought into that every dollar God gives us is for us to spend it. We need to finance some more and then ask him to give us more that that's obviously the problem. It's crazy. Let's look at some other statistics. 21%, this is of people that have been divorced, 21% uh, of them said money was the primary reason for their divorce. That's not surprising statistic, but watch this. 59% um, of them actually went further into debt because of the divorce. And so watch this. It turns out attorneys do not work for free. Is that stunning? You came to church tonight to learn that. It's amazing. Okay, let's carry on. Half of the respondents admitted that they or their spouse had lied. They had lied about money or hid information from the other person. And will avert the gaze at each other on whether or not we've ever done that. Like, don't tell your dad we did that. Right? 
that type of thing, or don't tell mom. I know I have never done that today, at least. Um, 70% of respondents said they don't stick to a budget. Isn't that crazy? And so this is really important to think about when it comes to money. And if we want to have a family that's built to last, today I want to talk about this in kind of two parts. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the, the biggest challenges that, that I see happening in families uh, that are trying to last. We all want to build something that lasts. But the biggest challenges as it pertains to money. And then I'm going to talk about ways that we can turn that around and make sure that we instill practices in our life that ensures that our family is built to last and that money doesn't become something that dissolves the family unit. And so the first thing I want to share with you is the first thing I see, it's a huge thing, is that people have bought into the lie of serving money. They're serving money. It's crazy. Uh, in fact, Jesus spoke specifically about this in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. You cannot serve both God and money. This is a huge challenge when it comes to our life because it turns out life costs money. Has anybody realized this? It's a money decision to have a car, to drive your car to church. Literally is a money decision. Uh, we want to eat food. Turns out that costs money. And it's very difficult to separate the two, especially if we don't have the anchor of God's word. And this thing of serving money has robbed people of so much peace and stability in their life and has literally crumbled in households on themselves. In fact, in 1 Timothy, it talks about this. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So watch this. Godliness with contentment, that's great gain. But the inverse is not always true. Great gain, come on somebody, isn't always godly, nor does it always bring contentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he carries on and says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You know, the U-Haul is not followed the hearse to the graveyard type thing. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, serving money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Many family units that were built to last have allowed money and serving money to collapse them. And so I wanted to talk to that, about that specifically, about signs that you're serving money. Um, signs that you're serving money. So, for example, uh, and I've had th some of this happen in my life. Here we go. Let's do internal reflection. You have worked overtime for years, even decades, yet you're in that category who says, I have less than $1,000 saved up. The best hours of your day, the greatest years of your life are being toiled away and it's taking you away from your family unit. You're living paycheck to paycheck and you've done that way for years, maybe even a decade. We've all had challenges. I mean, I've had challenges I, I mean, I went to Purdue University. I studied mechanical engineering. Actually, I didn't study it too much. My 2.64 GPA indicates that. Um, that was brought up by my A in indoor flower arranging. 
That was awesome. I got to bring a flower arrangement to my girlfriend each week. Even the week we made funeral arrangements. Like, you know, the big triangle ones out of lilies? I brought that to my girlfriend, right? Here is a funeral arrangement. Uh, I love you, mean it, like till death, kind of, like something like that. Anyhow, and I got credit card debt. I had Sally Mae student loan debt, credit card debt. Tr I got bought a car. I even financed a sales tax, 105% financing. I bought a truck, 100% financing. I asked my girlfriend to marry me. She said yes, so I financed the engagement ring, the wedding ring, the wedding, and the honeymoon to Jamaica all on the credit card. Get fired up. And then we moved to South Carolina with a job transfer, and we bought a house somehow, and we needed furniture. So do you think we paid cash for that? Not a chance. 24 months, same as cash. We had some furniture. And so we literally had, we had all this debt that we had self-incurred. And then I dared to look. I had the audacity to look at a holy God and say, the problem is not me. God, the prob my money problem that is destroying my family relationship is obviously because you're not giving me enough money. Have you ever done that one with God? And so God blessed me with more money. Do you think it helped my situation? Absolutely not, because serving money is never going to be satisfying. It will pierce you with many griefs. Another sign that you're serving money is you view your income as yours exclusively, and you refuse to live generously. You know, one of the things that God wants us to do is live generously, to put him first, to, to bring the whole tithe in a storehouse, Jesus affirmed the tithe in Matthew 23, 23. He wants us to live generously. Why? Because he knows that our heart will transfer with that. And he's interested in our hearts. And you cannot be a giver and not become a better money manager. It won't work. But if you're serving money, it will cause you to live a, a close-handed, close-in life versus an open-handed, generous life. And so this selfish living of serving money has completely destroyed the family union. The second thing that I see that is destroying the ability to last is a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. Um, money has rules. How many of you know money has rules? It just has rules. I mean, the beautiful thing is it's like it's got real rules. That's great. But if you don't know the rules, well, that's a problem because what you don't know can absolutely harm you. Have you ever been a time when you kind of walked in a room and, and suddenly you realized that all the people in the room knew something, but you, didn't, you weren't in on it? And like they kept laughing at you kind of, and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I lack knowledge here. Have you ever been there like that? It's awkward, isn't it? Let me give you an example that happened in my life. I, I'm the youngest of six boys. Uh, my mother and father, you know, they kept trying to have a girl. Finally, the last two, it was identical twins. I'm the identical one. They didn't know they were having twins till we were born. So I was marked with a letter B on my hand. That's how they know I was born seven minutes later. So I'm single baby B. And so they decided we've done trying to have girls. We're just going to have six boys. That's a basketball team and a sub. So uh, my dad would drive around uh, and, uh, in this old 1974 Oldsmobile Delta 88 Royale land yacht. And me and, my, me and my twin, because we're the youngest, we got to choose between seat, sitting on the hump or in the back window, right? It, like we survived without seatbelts. Who here survived without seatbelts? It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Anyhow, there, me and my twin had a great time growing up. We grew up just south of Indianapolis, Indiana, and we lived in the middle of cornfields. If you've seen a cornfield, you know what Indiana looks like. 
and we're in one of those cornfields, and our high school was in the middle of a cornfield, believe it or not, and we had a total of 55 kids in our whole graduating class. And so me and my twin got to be in every class together. And so we had high school speech class, and this moment came where there were some rules, and my twin didn't know them, and we were assigned this, this assignment to give a speech, a eulogy, which is a funeral speech, a memorial speech of a famous historical figure. My twin brother was assigned to deliver a eulogy, this funeral speech, for Sir Marquis de Lafayette, which is America's favorite fighting Frenchman, if you watch the play Hamilton. And so, uh, but he didn't know the rules until the day he had to deliver the speech. And the rule was, you have to talk for five minutes. And here's the rule. If it's Five minutes plus or minus 15 seconds. If you speak for less than four minutes, 45 seconds, F. If you speak longer than five minutes, 15 seconds, F. The problem was he had two minutes worth of information. So he's talking. He now sees the clock. He's done saying nice things about Sir Marquis de Lafayette. And it says two minutes. How many minutes does he need? Five. So what's the gap? Five minus two is how many minutes gap? Three. So my twin, having now just learned the rule, was fast on his feet and said, you know, one of the things Sir Marquis de Lafayette loved most was moments of silence. So I think we'll have three of those right now. And he bowed his head. And we made it about 15 seconds before the first person burst out laughing. And then, of course, it was catchy. And even our speech teacher, Miss Taylor, was laughing till she was crying with her head on the table, pounding her hand on the table, and he made us stand there for three minutes. And then he says, rest in peace, and sat down to wild applause as the teacher wrote a giant F, crying, laughing. So she's, and she literally wrote, nice try, right? But here's the fact. When it comes to money, there are many people that are functioning with a lack of knowledge, and it's destroying the family unit. And if you want your family that's built to last and you want to make sure money, one of the greatest eroders of marital harmony and the thing that destroys relationships, if you want that to work, it's important to know what God's word says about money. Proverbs 4, 7 says this great wisdom. It says the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. That's deep thoughts by Solomon. But then it says, though it costs all you have, get understanding. And so what he's acknowledging is it might cost you something, time, energy, effort, money, to get knowledge and understanding. But he also knew that if you got that, that everything else would fall into place. And then he continues on, this says in Proverbs 15, 22, that says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And so as I was struggling with money and realized I had this lack of knowledge, I started seeking wise counsel from people who love Jesus, who were winning with their money God's way, and they were willing to sit down with me and help me identify even what I couldn't even see in my gaps in knowledge. And they started to teach me about things like budgeting. They taught me how to prepare a budget, watch this, and then they taught me how to actually follow the budget. How many knows that's two separate things? And then they taught me the power of compound interest. And how it was really working against me with the debt that I had. But that I could actually have it work for me through investing. And they taught me about the spiritual implications of giving. And so as I learned that, 
it started to take problems out of my life and out of our family and started to solidify the foundation under our family unit. If you want to have something that's built to last, you're going to absolutely have to gather knowledge. You know, poor financial habits, they can result in somebody being frustrated and angry. Has anybody ever been frustrated and angry with your financial situation? You ever been frustrated? I've, I've been frustrated. In fact, my dad, he built homes for a living, and he had a really good filing system for his receipts and stuff. He would get them and stuff them in the dashboard of the truck. And at the end of the month, he would come in with the stack and tell my mom, here, let's pay all these. And she says, oh, no, you did not. You go pay these. And so he would descend into the room, the room, the bill-paying room, the office, and the door would close, and there would be these weird sounds coming out of that room as he was trying every type of math, new math, old math, all types of math to make these bills work out. And, and I realized there was great struggle. And what I realized over time is that if you allow that to fester, that anger and frustration will turn into bitterness. And it will leave you very frustrated. And, and I've had it in my life where I'm struggling. And have you ever had these proud parental moments when your child comes in and you're dealing with a, a frustrating moment about money and they're like interrupting a conversation about her or something and they just come in and, hey, what's up? And you're like, what'd you say? Huh? What? Get out of here. Have you ever, I know none of you have ever done that. Just me? Okay. Proud parent moment. And I had these moment, this moment happened one time and it was with my son because my son is a destructo boy. He's broke everything in my house. He just breaks things. It's his favorite thing to do. He doesn't even know he's doing it. He, he just breaks stuff. He spray painted my car. He's eight coins. He's broke my flat panel TV by throwing his toy through it. He's flooded the bathroom upstairs in the bathtub and had it rain in the, sec, the first floor. He he's, has rode on every cabinet door. None of them, he thinks they're all horses, so none of them closed right. Like, it's just nonstop breaking of things. I mean, kids stimulate the economy at another level. And it was in these moments that I was like yelling and so frustrated. And I was reading a book that's written by Dale Carnegie. It's been around since like the 20s. Uh, and it's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I ran across this writing that was in there. And I literally started sobbing because I saw a reflection of myself in it. And as I was preparing this message, I was prompted to pull it out. And I actually dared not read it before I brought it out because I, I was fearful that I would like cry again. So if I cry, will you hold against me? I don't know. I'm going to read it. It's from this guy. Uh, it's called Father Forgets, and it's by Livingston Larned, and he wrote this about his son. See if you see any reflection of yourself in it. He said, listen, son, I'm saying this as you lie asleep. One little paw crumpled under your cheek and the blonde curls stickily wet on your damp forehead. I've stolen into your room alone just a few minutes ago as I sat reading my paper in the library, a stifling wave of remorse swept over me, and guiltily I came to your bedside. There are things I was thinking, son. I'd been cross with you. I scolded you as you were dressing for school because you gave your face merely a dab with a towel. I took you to task for not cleaning your shoes. I called out angrily when you threw some of your things on the floor. At breakfast, I found fault too. You spilled things. You gulped down your food. You put your elbows on the table. You spread butter too thick on your bread. And you started off to play, 
and I made for my train, you turned and waved a hand and called, Goodbye, Daddy. And I frowned and said in reply, Hold your shoulders back. And then it began all over in the late afternoon. As I came up the road, I spied you down on your knees playing marbles. There were holes in your stockings. And I humiliated you before your friends by marching you ahead of me to the house. Stockings are expensive. And if you had to buy them, you'd be more careful. Imagine that, son, from a father. Do you remember later when I was reading in the library how you came in timidly with a sort of hurt look in your eyes? And when I glanced up over my paper, impatient at the interruption, you hesitated at the door. What is it you want? I snapped. You said nothing, but ran across in one tempestuous plunge and threw your arms around my neck and kissed me and your small arms tightened with an affection that God had set blooming in your heart and which even neglect could not wither. And then you were gone, pattering up the stairs. Well, son, it was shortly afterwards that my paper slipped from my hands and a terrible, sickening fear came over me. What has habit been doing to me? This habit of finding fault, of reprimanding. This is my reward to you for being a boy. It was not that I did not love you, it was that I expected too much of youth. I was measuring you by the yardstick of my own years. And there was so much that was good and fine and true in your character. The little heart of you was as big as the dawn itself over the wide hills. This was shown by your spontaneous impulse to rush in and kiss me goodnight. Nothing else matters tonight, son. I've come to your bedside here in the darkness. And I've knelt here ashamed. It's a feeble atonement. I know you wouldn't understand these things if I told them to you during your waking hours. But tomorrow I'll be a real daddy. I will chum with you and suffer when you suffer and laugh when you laugh. laugh, And I'll bite my tongue when impatient words come. I will keep saying as if it were a ritual, he is nothing but a boy, a little boy. I'm afraid I have visualized you as a man. Yet as I see you now, son, crumpled and weary in your cot, I see that you are still a baby. Yesterday you were in your mother's arms, your head on her shoulder. I've asked too much of you. Too much. And as I read this, I recognized that one of the reasons why I was so short with my son was not just because he was breaking things, but it was because I was allowing this thing called money and all of the negative stresses and pressures that come with it to dictate my feelings towards the one that God had given me, the blessings called children. And as I read that, it helped me resolve in my heart that said, I am going to do this differently so that I have built a family that lasts, that lasts forever, and where my children know that their dad is for them, and that if something breaks, that's great. We'll be able to figure out how to replace it, and we'll figure out a way to make sure that money is not at the center but that it is love that is at the center. Amen, church? So let me tell you two things that I see throughout God's word that helps us make sure that we build a family that's built to last. And the first thing is this, and pastor shared this in week one, to have a God-given vision for your life. Do you have a God-given vision for your life? Do you have that mission statement? Do you know what your family is about? What is that thing that your family unites over? You know, we have a statement in our family that says, singles do their best. That's that's the quote. I yell it to my kids when I drop them off at school. I embarrass them. I make them say it out loud because we're going to do our best. 
that's going to happen. I actually had a family crest drawn and painted with singles to their best in the middle of it. And they love it so much. Not so much. But, the, but, but let me tell you something. It's a God-given vision for our life that we're going to do our best. To do, uh, do our best at what? To love others. To point others to Jesus. To share our faith. To make sure that we are not going to serve money. We're going to serve our risen Savior. And how did we come about this God-given vision? I found for me, Romans 12, 1 and 2 has been a great guide for determining vision for life. And I know that all of us have had moments in our life where we've kind of wondered what's next. Maybe we finished a season of life and we're wondering what's next. This is a great roadmap. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I want, I want to stop here for a second and say that I really see a kind of a roadmap uh, on determining God's will for your life. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I see three things in this passage of scripture that we must do. The first thing it says, in view of God's mercy, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And so what does that mean? That says, I'm going to take the plans I might have had for my life, and I'm going to hold them with an open hand, willing to exchange them for whatever God's plan is for my life. That I'm not going to hold to it so tightly that God can't intersect with my life and turn my direction. And the second thing I see here is, that it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What does that mean? That says, all the things the world say will buy happiness. All the things that they say you should do that is going to bring joy in your life. That it is absolutely false joy. It is not long-lasting happiness. That it is to be conformed. What? But be transformed. That's the third thing. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I found that you can renew your mind by prayer through the reading of God's word, and through the counsel of wise Christ-following counselors. And when you do that, you'll be able to test what God's will is for your life. You know, one of the things I know is that if you don't have vision, uh, you'll kind of have negative things happen. Uh, has anybody ever ran in the dark anywhere and like had some negative moments happen? Or maybe you drove in the fog and had a negative moment happen? I had a moment like this happen when I was a teenager. I loved playing basketball. In the, in the age of, or 10th grade, I could two-hand dunk it, so that meant I was awesome at basketball. You know, self-defined awesome. Man, I loved playing basketball. I played it every single day. And, uh, you know, being five boys plus one, six, we had a basketball team in this sub, so we played basketball nonstop at the house. And after church on Tuesday nights, we would go play basketball at the local park. Now, there was just one problem. By the time church got out, it was usually dark. The timer turned off the lights in the park. Well, because we were mischievous teenagers, we figured out where the timer was. It was about 15 feet up the power pole. And we would nominate a couple of us to shimmy up the pole and change the time so the lights would come back on. While everybody else kind of ran over to the basketball court. Well, one night, I was not one of the mischievous teens climbing up the pole. And I was running out to the basketball court. And I ran smack into telephone poles that had been buried in the, in the parking lot to keep cars from driving in the grass that were cut off about right here. And I hit it right here with this leg. 
full blast. And as the metal halide light slowly turned on, it revealed me writhing around in agony, wondering if my leg was even attached to my body anymore. And I definitely didn't get to play basketball for several weeks after that. Luckily, it was not broken. And I learned something, that running in a visionless moment can really hurt you badly. In fact, I burst into poetry that if you run in a park in the dark, it's going to leave a mark. So don't do that, right? So make sure you know what that vision is for your life. And if you don't know what it is right now, then make sure that you go through this process. I encourage you, document this Romans 12, 1 and 2 and walk through that. This is how you can have a family unit that's built to last, to have a life that lasts and a life that has impact, not only to your family, but all who meet you along the way. Uh, The second thing I wanted to share with you is that you should trust the provider, not the provision. That if, if you trust the provider, not the provision, you will never go wrong. But how many know trusting this provision, that can fail you? Have you ever seen that happen? Like Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 21. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Has anybody ever had thieves break in and steal? Anybody had that happen? Does that give you special feelings? Right? Like you want to lay hands on them in the name of Jesus? but maybe around their neck region or something, right? But you forgive them. But then it says, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we need to trust the provider, not the provision. We've we've got lots of examples of that. Has anybody ever, you remember 2009, the 401k turned into a 201k? And then into a box of special K, right? We're all a witness to that. You cannot trust the provision. It will never, ever satisfy you. And as Paul wrote to Timothy in that letter, that many people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you want something that's built to last, you must trust the provider, not the provision. Let me give you some practical things you can do to trust the provider and not the provision. One of the things I encourage you to do is every time God blesses you with some possession or some money, whether it's payday or some blessing, I encourage you every time to pray and thank God for providing. He's the provider of it. Thank him for the provision and then hold everything with an open hand. Watch this. Practice generosity every time the Lord blesses you with something. It keeps you from becoming greedy. And it keeps you from becoming selfish because you are living selflessly. And then watch this. Prepare a budget. Get fired up. All the spenders are not fired up. And then do something crazy. Follow the budget. One of the greatest, most powerful spiritual acts you can do is manage the money God has given you well. To put God first by returning the first fruits. And then by saving some, and then investing some, and planning the rest, knowing he owns it all. It demonstrates your trust in the provider. It actually allows you to provide for your family better, and it allows you to eliminate some of the greatest stresses on marriages and on families, and allows you to build something that will last. 
You know, in my life, I had gotten all these debts, the student loan debt, truck debt, car debt, credit card debt, house debt, furniture debt. I owed my mom and dad. It was awful. And I woke up at age 28, literally like I woke up and said, I have an average bank balance of $4.13. This is not working. And there was stress all around. And I started doing exactly as I just described. Every time the Lord blessed me with money, God, thank you for providing again. You did not have to. I'm so grateful you did. We prepared a budget. In that budget, it had God first. It had saving second, investing third. And we planned the rest. And then we asked God to help us follow it. And we started to see huge changes happen in our life. We are able to eliminate all of our debt except for our house in 14 months. In fact, at the age of, of, of 33, we were able to go on full-time staff at a church that we had helped start. And I negotiated a 50% pay cut. Get fired up. Woo! And I was still able to prosper because we'd gotten rid of debt. And even though that was the case, five years later at age 38, we were able to pay off our house. And we've been able to build something that lasts, not through what we have done, but because we have taken God at his word. We've applied it to our life and followed it the best we knew how. And I will tell you, when you do that, crazy things will happen, but you'll be able to navigate it. You know, I, have you ever had moments where it's just one thing after another happens? And eventually, like event, one, one moment, you're mad, but then after it just keeps happening, you're like, you're like, okay. All right, what do you got, Satan? Bring it on. Put it in the stack over there. I'll get to it next week. Have you ever had that happen? Like, I recently had that happen with cars. Has anybody ever had a car drive you crazy? Well, I've had several cars drive me crazy. I, I, let, let me tell you a story. My, uh, my daughter grew up with this other girl, and uh, they grew up through middle school, through high school. And uh, recently, uh, in 10th grade of high school, this girl was raised by her mother, a single mother, and... Her dad was not in her life, and her mother fell ill and actually passed away in the middle of her sophomore year of high school. And uh, she had an aunt help her out for a little while, but it ended up, even though she's like a near genius, she wasn't able to go to college even though she wanted to. And, and so we felt God saying, hey, uh, you need to let her live in this empty room that you have in the house and help her out with some of that. And we decided to get her a car. And so I had to go find a car for her which is just my favorite thing to do is go negotiate for a car. So I'm negotiating for a car, and so I come home, I finally got this car, and I, I hear a sound out of my wife's car, and it sounds like the rods are knocking, so I decided to check the oil, and it's not one quart low, it's not two quarts low, it's three quarts low. Get fired up, isn't that awesome? And then the next day, no joke, my wife receives a panic call from my daughter, who's in college, and she's crying hysterically. And somehow, she says she was not texting. She went off the road and ran into a culvert and blew her car to pieces. She's okay. But, you know, the engine, the whole bottom of it was gone. So all the oil's on the road. It's gone. It's dead. Totaled. And then, in the midst of that, um, my four-wheeler won't keep running. And my truck taillights stop working. And the brake lights on the trailer won't work. Has anybody ever had all that stuff happen all at once? Anybody had that? Man, I'm glad the Bible says man's uh, abundance doesn't consist of his possessions or whatever. Uh, but I will say that all that stuff happened, and it's a nuisance, and it's annoying, but because we have the money thing in order, we have a clear vision for our life, 
And we have planned and we have managed these resources in a way that honors God and the dreams he's given us. It's allowed us to have this key word in our life. I want to show it to you. It's this word called peace. Peace. Everybody say that word, peace. All right. So I want you to breathe, breathe in. Take a deep breath. All right, I'll let it out. When's the last time you breathed that way financially? You see, when you trust the provider and not the provision, you won't be anxious. Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that's gratefulness, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. It's a promise from the Lord. And if you want to have a family unit that's built to last and you want to have money worries pushed to the side, I encourage you in the midst of chaos, trust the Lord and think about those, those things, those six things, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, think on those things and you will have peace regardless of what happens in your life. On Sunday night, at 5.30, I'm going to be teaching the financial learning experience. It's a two-hour equipping event where I'm going to teach the practical tools to allow spiritual principles to come to life in your life. Uh, they, it's what's allowed me to win with my money God's way. We're going to talk about how to have a budget that actually works, how to save money, how to make sure God is first place in your finances, uh, how to make sure that we're able to invest. We're going to talk about investing. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're even going to talk about retirement. And, and in the midst of all this, we'll also be able to give you practical tools. There's over 100 free financial tools that you'll be able to get access to. There's childcare, there's some light snacks, and uh, it's absolutely free. And I pray that you'll join us and that you'll also bring family and friends with you as well because we want to be able to serve them too. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you do love us. And God, I, I'm so grateful that you don't love us any more or less based upon the size of our bank accounts. I'm so grateful, Lord. But I do know this, money is train wrecking so many of our lives and it is destroying the families. And God, as, as you shared in the word, it's documented in the Bible, I'm so glad we get to read it again, that we cannot serve both you and money. I pray that you would help us to have the focus on you, not on the financial resources. God, but that in all things at all times, having all we need, we would be able to praise you with everything that happens, God. That we'd be able to be generous on every occasion. And God, that we would be able to invest in our kids, our family, and be able to, be able to live generously. God, I pray that we would build something that could last. God, I know that for many of us, there is a next step that we can take. Whether well, that, that's to come to the financial learning experience, or whether it's to trust you through giving, or whether it is to, 
put together a budget and follow up, whatever it might be for our next step financially, God, I pray you would give us the strength and the energy to do so. And Jesus, we do thank you that you died and you paid a debt we could never repay. And you died and you granted us that free gift of salvation that if anyone would call upon your name and believe in our heart that you've been raised from the dead, that we would be saved. We'll never get over that outrageously generous gift. And it's in your name that we pray this, in Jesus' name. And everybody said,